0: 22. Hopefully you have been enjoying this podcast and all of the movies that we've been talking about. Movies from the past, movies from the present. Some of them well-loved and hailed as the stuff of legend. Others that may have flown under the radar when they first came out and maybe deserve a revisit. Either way, though, if you have listened to this show before, then chances are you know exactly what I'm about to say. That quote from actress Lauren Bacall, she said, It's not an old movie, if you haven't seen it. So, if it's a movie that you have never seen before, it's new to you. And in this episode, we close out the two-parter on the theme of starting up a new school semester. Last time, we looked at a couple of inspirational, crowd-pleasing dramas. So, this time around, we're gonna go in a different direction. We're gonna go for the laughs. We're gonna take a look back at two comedies, both of them about a grown man returning to the classroom after a considerable number of years away from one. There is, of course, the usual serving of quotable dialogue to kick things off, this one, from Thornton Mellon's pep talk to his college-aged son in an attempt to convince him not to drop out. Remember, you're a melon! I'm your movie-loving host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. So, we're going to take a look at these two comedies, 1986's Back to School and 1995's Billy Madison. We're going to look at the premise and the first little bit of both movies, and as usual, these plot setups, they're going to be spoiler-free, and then you'll be getting the heads up before we dive into the behind-the-scenes fun facts when anything is up for discussion, including plot points and the endings, so you'll get the heads up. Don't forget the usual shout-outs, of course, and the acknowledgements to to what you brought to the table through social media, through email, and with all of that, we are talking a full episode act. I should probably begin by saying that, depending on personal tastes, these two comedies, they may or may not hold up so well. Chances are, neither one of them would get made today, or if they were, there would at least be some very different creative decisions in terms of some of the jokes and lines of dialogue and some of the characters. When I took a look at both of these movies to pull together some notes, <laughs> I did make note of a, of a few moments, or I should say not just a few moments, that fell into the category of cringe. But some may say that there are a few genuine chuckles to be had, and as unbelievable as it may seem, Back to School especially does actually have a beating heart at its center, which, again, depends on personal preferences, but I think the key to Back to School is that Rodney Dangerfield really makes the character of Thornton Mellon as likable as he does. So, first up is 1986's Back to School. Back to School, directed by Alan Meador. He would go on to direct some prestigious Oscar bait like Police Academy 7, Mission to Moscow, and two direct-to-video features starring the Olsen twins, Billboard Dad and Passport to Paris. Back to School stars Rodney Dangerfield as Thornton Mellon, a guy who started out as the son of, I think they were supposed to be Italian immigrants. The movie begins with a black and white flashback sequence to New York City in 1940, and we get this shot of Maloney's clothing store. The guy's a tailor, he's bent over his sewing machine, and his son, played by Jason Hervey, who played the older brother in the TV series The Wonder Years, the young son, he walks in and he self-consciously hands over his report card to this father and the father takes a look at the report card and he is properly pissed at the bad grades and he says with an exaggerated italian accent you call this a report card and the son says i tried pop i can't do it and the father explodes then try harder and he gets all huggy and demonstrative and he says with tenderness in his voice you can do anything in life you want to do remember you're a maloney and then Pop goes in for an affectionate hug, and I am gonna take a wild stab in the dark here and say that yes, this is an Italian home. Having grown up in one myself, I can confirm that. <laughs> We're then taken to decades later, that same kid is now Rodney Dangerfield, a self-made millionaire who, who owns a pretty lucrative chain of clothing stores called Tall and Fat. And this is probably the first piece of cringe that we have here in this movie. We're treated, after the opening credits end, to a TV commercial of his, where he is boasting of the sizes in his clothing line that he calls, quote, husky, stocky, extra stocky, and the new Hindenburg line. His commercial says, quote, we have miles and miles of fabric. He's got 150 locations across the country. He's got all the money in the world. So he is a millionaire. And that's an important thing to remember about this because that does factor very heavily into the way that he approaches everything throughout the whole movie. But despite all of his money and despite all of his self-made success, things at home are lousy. His wife of five years, Vanessa, Played by Adrian Babo of the TV series Maud, and she was also she was also a screen queen in her own right. She was in horror movies like 1980s The Fog. She was in 1981's Escape from New York. Both of them were written and directed by John Carpenter, who was her husband at the time. And she also did, without Carpenter, she also did Creepshow and Swamp Thing. Both of those in 1982. Here in Back to School, she plays this adulterous money-hungry social climber. She's throwing this swanky patty, and she's shacking up with another guy in a room with the door shut when Thornton walks in on them. So her role is a small role, but it does work to set up how the two of them, they're just looking to break free from each other. He's got a son from his previous marriage, his son Jason, who's a college freshman. And that is, I do want to say, I think, two important aspects of his character that really make his character work. Number one, his son Jason, he loves dearly. He would go to the ends of the earth for him, and that, I think, adds a lot of humanity to his goofball character. And the second thing is, and this is mentioned later on in the movie, in a brief line of dialogue, that Jason's mother, he really loved her. They had a really good thing going, and she had passed away about 10 years before the events of this movie. So, when you have that kind of tenderness on top of all of the excessive self-indulgence, that really does add a whole new dimension to things. It makes it it makes it more fun to watch. If this guy were just out for himself and dismissive of those that he is supposed to be closest to, I don't think the movie would have worked nearly as much. So kudos to the screenwriters for giving that that element to his character. Anyway, his son Jason, played by Keith Gordon, who had at this point done Dressed to Kill with Brian De Palma. He had worked with John Carpenter himself in the movie Christine, based on the book by Stephen King. So he's on the phone with Jason, and Jason says to him, She's your wife, not my mother. So by the end of the evening, they're going to split up. And he happily does this flip into the swimming pool that is most definitely not Dangerfield. That is a cutaway shot that is hysterical because it is so painfully obvious that it is a stunt double. It adds to the levity of the moment. He says to his limo driver, Lou, played by Burt Young, he says, Vanessa and I, we're getting a divorce. I feel like I just got paroled. Hey, Lou, pack our bags. We're gonna go up to that college to see my son. So again, the affection, the love that he has for his kid, that's what makes his character work. He may be crude, he may be crass, but he's got a huge heart for his son. And the premise would not be half as fun if he merely tolerated him or if he were only an afterthought. It's clear through the dialogue, it's clear in his face, everything he does is for Jason. Jason, unfortunately, is not filled with the same exuberance as his father. This poor kid, he's awkward, he's shy around girls, he didn't make the diving team, he's a second semester freshman, his grades are only average. And when he says to his father, Dad, I only got C's last semester, Thornton comes back with a great line, A, B, C, you're in the top three. So he's got one friend, his roommate Derek, played by a 20-year-old Robert Downey Jr. So Iron Man has this purple hair and he plays this eccentric character who has these bizarre theories about how schmoes like him and Jason were not meant to have dates with girls like the beautiful Valerie, someone that Jason is crushing on from afar. So he goes to the campus football games to make a statement, part of an anti-pep rally, to point out that, quote, A violent ground acquisition game such as football is, in fact, a crypto-fascist metaphor for nuclear war, end quote. So that's Robert Downey Jr. in one of his earlier roles, and you definitely see his quirkiness coming through even then. So Thornton arrives at Jason's college, and he eventually finds his dorm through a series of comical mishaps, which I won't give away. Jason breaks the news to him that he's going to be dropping out, and Thornton is upset by this. Think back to that opening sequence when Thornton was a kid. His father said to him, I don't care how rich or successful a man is, if he does not have an education, he's got nothing. So Thornton is now using these words on his own son, on Jason, and so he's trying to give him this pep talk. Stay in school, don't drop out, you can be whatever you want to be. Remember, you're a melon. And Jason comes back with, Dad, that's easy for you to say, you don't have to do it. And at that point, we have the catalyst, the launching pad for the whole movie. He says, "All right, I'll do it with you, I'm going to college. Cut to Thornton in Dean Martin's office, and this is the late, great Ned Beatty, playing a character who is a total sycophant. He's drooling all over Thornton's checkbook. (laughs) He tries to be all dignified as he is saying to him, You're a highly respected member of the business community, Mr. Mellon, but you have no high school diploma, no SAT scores, no transcripts. How can this esteemed university accept you as a student? And then a quick cut to the groundbreaking ceremony, an answer to that question, the dedication on campus of the future site of the Mellon School of Business Administration. And he is honored as, quote, the most generous benefactor and newest freshman, the man who's made it possible for us to break ground here today. At that point, the stuffy dean of the business school, Dr. Philip Barbe, gets out of his car, walks up, and in front of everybody completely disapproves. And Ned Beatty's response is one of the funniest lines in the movie. He says, I just want to say, in defense of Mr. Mellon here, it was a really big check. There are a lot of other great characters. You have the quintessential bad guy, William Zabka, who played Johnny in the Karate Kid, and he was the scuzzy boyfriend Jack in National Lampoon's European Vacation. He plays Chaz Osborne, a classmate of Jason's and Derek's, who Derek calls, quote, an elitist fraternity scumbag, end quote. You also have in the cast Sally Kellerman of MASH fame, the movie, not the TV series. She plays Professor Turner, who teaches Thornton's English class and naturally becomes his love interest after reading a saucy passage from James Joyce on the first day of class that, shall we say, provokes his libido. That is the spoiler-free setup of Back to School. I don't want to give away any of the movie's great one-liners, quotable dialogue. It is fantastic. Couple of dated gags here and there, but for the most part, this was a film that was a lot of fun to go back and revisit. As for the other film, 1995's Billy Madison, this was a film that I went back and took a look at, and I didn't quite walk away with the same level of fondness as I did for Back to School. There are some good moments. There are some not-so-good moments. Hear me out. <laughs> Billy Madison, the spoiler-free premise. Billy Madison does serve up a, uh, a hearty helping of heaps of cringe to get your head spinning, so... Sit back. Adam Sandler, he co-wrote this comedy, which is pretty lowbrow, but that's Adam Sandler's brand of- You know, you expect that kind of thing when you're gonna go see a movie that was co-written by and stars Adam Sandler. Came out in 1995, it became one of his most well-remembered hits. He plays the titular spoiled man-child, the only boy of a wealthy owner of a string of hotels. As the opening credits roll, he's lying in a raft in the swimming pool, and he's just enjoying the good life. He's singing idiotically to himself about the many benefits of using sunblock, of all things. He's squirting it across his chest and stomach in the form of a smiley face. He then realizes that he's had too much sun anyway, so he begins to hallucinate that there's this huge penguin running across his lawn. Now, before, before this goes any further, if you are thinking to yourself, what in the actual, you are not alone. Because that was my first reaction. <laughs> so he's going after this imaginary penguin, and because he's all you know, suffering from heat stroke. He's, I can't even say he's running after the penguin. He's sort of languidly stumbling after it, almost drunkenly. He's determined to catch it, and as he says, to bring it to the nice zoo. So while he's doing this, these important business types, they show up and they come walking across the front lawn and up to the front door of the mansion. They have a business meeting with his father, who is played by Darren McGavin, best known as the old man in 1983's holiday classic, A Christmas Story. You know, the father who cherished the the prize of the leg lamp. So Billy just makes it to the front door when he falls forward, face plants right on the entranceway. Who comes to his rescue but the family maid Juanita, played by Teresa Merritt. She brings him to and basically drags him inside and tells him to get ready to join in the meeting, which he does, though still without having his full mental faculties. There he is, sitting with his father, with his business associates, he's rambling incoherently and he's spouting out all of this gibberish until his exasperated father kicks him out of the room. He angrily owns up to the fact that he paid off all of Billy's teachers, he bribed them all, from kindergarten all the way up to high school graduation. And that crushes Billy because he thought that he won that first grade spelling bee fair and square for spelling the word rock as R-O-K. But now that he knows that the C is silent, he's pretty petulant and irritable and grumpy, and his father issues an ultimatum. If you want to inherit the family business, this chain of hotels that I have, you either go back to school and repeat grades 1 through 12, two weeks per grade, or no inheritance. Meanwhile, one of the business associates, the evil Eric Gordon, played by Bradley Whitford years before West Wing and years before Get Out, he's furious because he wants to run the hotels, so he is the archetypal baddie in this movie, the one who's the, the ash nemesis. So, what does Billy do? Of course, he goes right back to school. So, he enrolls in first grade and he sits there with all of these little kids participating in recess and listening to story out, all of it. Some, you do have some moments of genuinely clever comedy here. You also have some moments that are pretty horrifying. For example, at one point out at recess, he's playing dodgeball, and he's playing pretty roughly. He's arguing at lunch over which Sega Genesis game is better, Mortal Kombat or Donkey Kong. At lunch, he wants to trade his banana with another student for his chocolate snack pack pudding. And he struggles to use this really short urinal in a scene that... I gotta call it as it is, it is either a tip of the hat to, or it is a blatant ripoff of the exact same gag that John Candy did in 1989's Uncle Buck in a scene where he goes into an elementary school and has to use the bathroom. Rounding out the cast, fellow SNL alum Norm McDonald as Billy's loser friend, Frank, Bridget Wilson-Sampras as his third grade teacher who becomes his love interest, Veronica Vaughn, Josh Mostel as the elementary school principal, Max Anderson, and uncredited Steve Buscemi as a former classmate of Billy from his real high school years who used to get a lot of crap from him. But I dare not say anything at all about how Steve Buscemi factors into the story. Adam Sandler, he's one of those comedians whose brand of humor you either go for or you avoid altogether. You know, like a lot of comedians, he did try to go serious with a few film projects after his heyday in raunchy comedy. Most recently, he did Uncut Gems, not too long ago, 2019. But here in Billy Madison, it's 1995, he's fresh off of SNL, and at this point, at this early point in his movie career, he was ready, willing, and able to bite into the box office gold with gleeful abandon, as far as his goofiness is concerned, I mean. But like I said, there is some humor in here that was pretty raw even then. But more so now, more than 25 years later. But like a lot of dated material that does not age well, some may say that you cannot reinvent history. All you can do is revisit it, learn from it, move on from there. You know, you you have jokes at the expense of the LGBTQ community. You have jokes about harassment, assault. You have... You, know, you you have him laughing at other little kids in his class for one reason or another for reasons I don't really feel like getting into. But don't get me wrong, there really is a decent number of genuine chuckles that are sprinkled throughout the movie, but a lot of it just made me wilt inside, but that's just me. But if you haven't seen Billy Madison, or if you haven't seen it in a while and forget a lot of it, then, you know, hey, a heads up is only fair, that's all I'm saying. So there's the spoiler-free setup of both Back to School and Billy Madison, and now it is time to issue the spoiler alert as we launch the Top 10 Fun Facts segments for both. First up, Back to School. Number 10. Initially, the character of Thornton Mellon was going to be unaccomplished and penniless. Then, the writer-director-actor Harold Ramis probably most known for his acting for playing Egon Spengler in Ghostbusters, he came in and he took a look at the script, and he changed the character of Thornton Mellon from poor to filthy rich. Rodney Dangerfield managed to convince the big brass at Orion Pictures to delay the production to give Harold Ramis time to pretty much overhaul the rest of the entire script. Number 9. The original music score for the movie was composed by band leader Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo. The band was actually seen briefly in the film performing the song Dead Man's Party. This was at his dorm party that he was throwing. It's a tune that is always on my Halloween playlist. Google the lyrics and you will see why. Number 8 A Casting Could Have Been. Remember Sam Kinnison? as History Professor Turgeson, Jim Carrey was briefly considered for that rather loud role. Ultimately, though, he was deemed too young, and Kennison stepped in, and the rest is history. Number seven, Keith Gordon. He plays Rodney Dangerfield's son, Jason, in this movie. He is no stranger to playing a college student. A few years earlier, he played real-life Jeffrey Miller, in the award-winning 1981 television movie Kent State about the Kent State shootings in May of 1970 out in Ohio. Number 6, actor William Zabka. He realized with this movie that he was getting typecast as the unlikable villain. He tried to bring some goofiness and some levity to his performance. He plays Jazz Osborne. Jason's rival on the diving team, but the director told him, no, you're being too appealing, he took him aside, and William Zabka said, when Back to School came around, that was the first time that I thought, hey, wait a minute, this is starting to happen too much. Like I already said, he was Johnny in The Karate Kid, the ultimate baddie of 1980s cinema. Number five, Sally Kellerman. She admitted to Orange Coast Magazine in November of 1986 that she didn't really know who Rodney Dangerfield was when she signed on for this movie. She only knew him from his Miller Lite commercials, but the two of them did get along very well. In fact, she said, and I quote, The second day we met, he said, Did you change your hair? And I said, No, did you? After that, I liked him so much. She also went on to say, He's such an odd guy. End quote. Number four. The college that jason and his father attend it's the fictional grand lakes university there were three different college campuses that they used for filming the exterior locations the university of wisconsin and madison the university of southern california and california state university in los angeles each of these three schools stood in for the fictional grand lakes the one college that rodney dangerfield in real life had applied to was the university of wisconsin but he did not get in and so, when he was doing press for this movie, he said, quote, "...it took 40 years, but I finally got here." End quote. Number three. How's about recycling some old shooting locations of other movies. Waste not, want not, right? The scene where Thornton Mellon is taking his oral exams, that was filmed in the exact same room where Jennifer Beals danced in the final scene of 1983's Flash Dance. So take a look at that on YouTube and you'll see that it is the exact same room. In addition, Dr. Diane Turner, Sally Kellerman's character, there's a scene that takes place in her home, and her home is the same house where Jamie Lee Curtis is terrorized by Michael Myers in 1978's Halloween. Number two, William Zabka and Robert Downey Jr. They became fast friends during the production, even though in the movie they play mortal enemies. They would hang out in Downey's hotel room. Downey would play his keyboard, and Zabka would play his guitar. The two of them would watch movies, and they both bonded over their mutual respect for Christopher Walken, who they called, quote, so genius end quote. And number one. Remember the scene when Thornton is walking around the campus, and he's wearing his bathrobe and his slippers to the horror of Jason and the amusement of Jason's roommate Derek? Well, that was based on reality. William Zabka and Rodney Dangerfield, when they first met early one morning in a hotel elevator, Dangerfield was wearing a blue robe and his hair was sticking up. Zabka introduced himself, and he did come out and he say, Why are you in a robe? And Dangerfield's response was apparently, quote, I gotta get in the sauna. I gotta get the pot out of my lungs. You, you're young. You can handle it. But me, I gotta get it out. End quote. And there you are. The top ten countdown fun facts of Back to School. And here is your friendly spoiler warning as you now get the top 10 fun facts about Billy Madison. Number 10. You know Charles Bronson, right? He's known for his on-screen tough guy persona. He did a lot of classic westerns in the 50s and the 60s. By the 1990s, Bronson was in his 70s, so his film career was pretty much winding down at that point. He was offered the role of Brian Madison, Billy's father, but he turned it down. He's a small character in the film, of course, very important to the plot. After Bronson turned the role down, the role eventually went to Darren McGavin, of A Christmas Story fame. Number 9. If you missed his time on SNL, then you might not know this. Before he went into making movies, Adam Sandler was a stand-up comedian, and he also was fairly accomplished as a guitar player. He would incorporate a lot of music into his stand-up acts, he would sing about a lot of raunchy things, And one of his characters from SNL that's a fan favorite made it into Billy Madison. And that would be the Lunch Lady. This woman who wears this hairnet slapping down these extra sloppy joes and she's laughing all proud of her sloppy joes. That's a reference to Adam Sandler's song Lunch Lady Land where he's singing about a lunch lady who gets into a fight with her food and the sloppy joe comes to her rescue. I don't know. Number eight. The elementary school principal, Max Anderson. It is, as you know, revealed in the film that he used to be a wrestler who actually sat on someone and killed him. And he, panic-stricken, when he's called out on this, he says he was supposed to give me the signal, he was supposed to pinch me when he was running out of air. But he somehow managed to escape that scandal and was able to talk his way into getting a job as a principal. So he later comes clean, and in the film's big climactic moment, he even tackles the evil Eric with his old wrestling mask on. But Josh Mostel, who plays Max, he is an opera singer. He started out with the Metropolitan Opera. He was on Broadway in 1989 in a production of the Three Penny Opera. Number seven, Chris Farley. He plays the unnamed bus driver in a cameo appearance. He's only on screen for a few minutes. I think he appears in a total of two or three scenes. For the most part, he's his trademark nasty, ill-tempered, and completely wigged out kind of person. He's driving around all of these kids in this school bus to a field trip. He steals their lunches, and he does get a happy ending, though, with Mr. Penguin, if you remember, during the ending credits. But one of his most memorable moments is when he's driving, and the kids push him just over the edge enough. He threatens to turn the bus around, he's mumbling, and he's cursing under his breath. If you take a look at his face at that point, his face is turning bright red. He is furious. And that was completely improvised. All of that blood that rushed into his face, he made that happen right up on the spot. Number six, two-time Academy Award winning Robert De Niro, (laughs) who played the young version of Vito Corleone in The Godfather Part II and Raging Bull. He has said, apparently, that Billy Madison is his all-time favorite film. Number five, Adam Sandler in a huge moment of cringe. Uh either he was really getting into a scene in terms of trying to be a, a believable actor, or he was just getting carried away and didn't know when to quit. But in the scene where he's playing a game of dodgeball with the kids in the class, he is actually hitting those kids with the ball. He was not faking he was not faking that ball. I'm watching this scene and I'm thinking to myself Was that ball made out of, like, (laughs) was it a balloon? Did they add in sound effects of the ball hitting the kids? It was all the real thing. He was actually throwing the ball as hard as he could at the kids, and so you hear them crying out, ouch, and ow. Those are all legitimate reactions by the kid actors. And some of them even began crying when the scene was being filmed. So when they were editing the film, they made sure to cut away from their faces so that their tears would not show up in the final version. Number four mentioned already how Billy Madison, there are a lot of scenes with him and his friends, and they're at the mansion, and they're partying at the pool, they're drinking at the pool, and when he begins to buckle down, he is actually even studying at the pool. That mansion, the actual house, is called Parkwood Estate, and the house and the grounds have appeared in a huge number of films and TV series. It was Professor Xavier's School for the Gifted in 2000's X-Men, it's the house that Dennis Leary broke into in The Ref, and it also has appeared in Hannibal, Nikita, Queer's Folk, and Bulletproof Monk. Number three The opening scenes of Billy Madison. They show us Billy, they show us his friend Frank, played by Norm MacDonald. He is a drunk, and he just spends his life doing a whole great big mess of nothing. And that's pretty much his character throughout the film. Every time he reappears, he's just drinking, and every time Billy graduates from a grade, he gets a new graduation party thrown by his overly indulgent father. And at one point, Frank even says, Hey, when I graduated from the first grade, my father just told me to get a job. And in one of these party scenes, His speech is all slurred because he's supposed to be drinking. That was all real as well. Norm MacDonald, he got completely trashed to film the scene. He said it was to try to get into character, but... we We can take that one with a grain of salt or maybe a huge salt lick. He ended up getting so wasted that he passed out. They had to dump ice water on him to wake him up to do the scene. Number two. Adam Sandler, before Billy Madison, before even SNL, he was doing a stand-up comedy, and he was struggling with it. He was completely and totally broke, financially speaking. According to an interview he did with 60 Minutes, he was only making $10 a night for his stand-up. In 1990, he started out on SNL as a writer. The following year, that's when he began to perform on screen, and he stayed with it for five years, the year that he made Billy Madison, 1995. And Billy Madison was his first leading comedy role in a feature film. And number one, Adam Sandler, as well as Chris Farley, were unceremoniously fired from SNL in 1995, and the thing of it is, he still doesn't know why they were fired. He was interviewed by the Daily Beast, and he said, quote, Yes, we were fired. We kind of quit at the same time as being fired, end quote. And he said that it did hurt a lot at the time, understandably so, quote, because we were young and didn't know where we were going, but it all worked out. And there you have the countdown of the top 10 fun facts about Billy Madison and its leading man, Adam Sandler. And now it's time for the final stretch, poll and trivia results. As always, thank you to everybody who voted in this week's poll, which asked which one of these two fools you would rather be sitting next to in class, if you had to pick one, that is. And in aggregate, totaling up everything from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it looks like the addition to your class's roster is Mr. Thornton Mellon. Lots of great comments from you this week. I do want to share them all here. A surprising number of GIF files, GIF files came in, which was fantastic. So, first we have Al from the Stu and Al pod. He said, I need to rewatch Billy Madison. It's been years. And, by the way, Al, thank you for that GIF from Billy Madison. Jamie T., she says, Rodney, without hesitation, time to finally give him some respect. Great gift from you too, Jamie. You sent one of Rodney Dangerfield doing his stand-up. Mary C., she says, Rodney, because he's a legend. Mike D., who appeared on the show in episode 20, remember to check out his Star Wars podcast called Now This Is Podcasting. He says, Rodney, you might get to go to a raging party in a dorm. Tom T says, Rodney, above all others, loved my five wives. Lauren G says, both amazing and hilarious films. My fave of both actors, but Sam Kinison's scene may be the winner for me. But Billy Madison's scene in the tub with the shampoo and the conditioner is awesome, too. Lauren, the gifts from both films that you sent in were hilarious. Thank you all. Thank you all for your contributions and the interaction. That is what it is all about, so keep them coming. And to reiterate what I've been saying about the trivia, It does not matter when you are listening to any episode, whether it's an episode that is one week old, six months old, send in the response. There is no cutoff point, no due date. You will get a personalized meme and a shout-out, so please just have fun and play along. And last time, the trivia question was about actress Laura Dern, who co-stars in 1999's October Sky. And the question was, what 2019 movie got her the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in early 2020? And, answering correctly, the movie Marriage Story is Jamie T. and Mary C. She plays Scarlett Johansson's divorce attorney in Marriage Story. It was a Netflix production, which also got a Criterion DVD release not too long ago, so for those of you who still collect physical media as I do, there is your next purchase. So here is this episode's trivia question. Robert Downey Jr. He has a supporting role playing Derek, Jason's roommate in Back to School. In addition to two Oscar nominations in the years since Back to School, Robert Downey Jr. has also reaped untold financial fortunes for starring in a couple of pretty lucrative franchises. Of course, he's Iron Man in the MCU, the Marvel Comics universe. But what is the other franchise that he is in? It began in 2009, so far there are two films, and there's a third one currently in pre-production. I'll give you a hint, it's European in origin and Jude Law is his co-star. Send your answers on over, you can contact me through my socials, as always on Twitter at FilmBuff1974, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, on Instagram, frankmandosa 1974 or you can email me at Mendoza at yahoo.com. And that wraps up episode 22. Before class is dismissed, let me just say one last thing. We are approaching episode number 25 pretty soon, and that is going to feel really damn good. So when you set out with these things, you never know how they're going to go. And this podcast has evolved in ways that I was not expecting. I learned through trial and error, everything ranging from show format to mic placement to audio tricks. It's come a still lots of room to develop and evolve even more but that is what's making it fun for me so i just want to say thank you for sticking with this for listening and giving this show an audience be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and if you could take a second to give this show a rating on apple itunes spotify Podchaser, buzzsprout good pods wherever you listen to your podcasts it really does help to increase the show's visibility it boosts the algorithms And if you want to leave a quick review of Silver Screeners, I will buy you a pony and you can choose the color. Thank you for joining. Rock on. And until next time, keep on screening. Class dismissed.